Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together, we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Today, we have a fellow game designer in the Nerd Lab. I can remember that I followed his Instagram profile a time ago um, yeah, because I was really impressed by the art of the game, the art that he was posting there. Um, it's a bit hard to, to explain on a podcast without any visual support, but it looks very natural and hand-drawn and not digitally over-polished like many other art styles that I have seen in the, in the recent uh, past. And um, yeah, for me, it felt unique and it sparked my interest. And so I was reading through the, um, the Instagram posts um, and um, looking at the art and reading also the, the rules. And um, I got curious and excited because um, the game is much about exploring, discovering and adventuring. All the aspects that I really like about, uh, about uh, games and that it's a card game. And um, yeah, so I was really excited and um, I decided to reach out and ask for an interview. And yeah, I mean, uh, who isn't uh, hyped by a Cthulhu theme? So uh, please welcome with me uh, Patrick Kelleher, um, the designer of uh, Heart of Cthulhu. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you for having me. So before we dive really deep into um, your game and your journey, could you please um, introduce yourself to the to the listeners and tell us um, how your journey as a game designer started and what motivated you to um, to start designing your own game? Yeah, well, like you said, my name is Patrick Kelleher. Um, I live in Texas and I had moved to Houston for a new job um, last year, right when the pandemic started, basically. And so everything sort of shut down and my opportunities for meeting new people and sort of becoming part of the community here were very limited. Um, I am an artist and I like to draw and paint and do watercolors. And during the pandemic, um, I was realizing I was at home a lot and I was really starting to get antsy with my creativity and wanted to do more with my off time than just, you know, sketch and paint. And this game idea came into my mind. And as soon as it came into my mind, it sort of overtook all of my free time. I became very excited about it. I immediately sat down and just started jotting down the theme that I wanted to do, the, the rules, um, the basic gameplay, and how the game would look um, actually playing it. So that's what I started to do. And really, it stemmed from me wanting to do more with my art, to tell a story with my art, and not just continue to do pieces for not no reason necessarily, but not with a purpose. Um, so yeah, that's how the game was born basically. And that's what I've been doing nonstop for the past year on my free time, that is. 
That's so cool to to hear. So the first thing I really like about it is that there might be at least one good thing that comes out of that uh, Corona crisis. And <laughs> um, the second thing is really, what really impresses me is that as far as I know, you have done all of the artworks for the game yourself. And um, I really, I really um, want to hear more about how your approach as an artist is because most of the time i talk to people who are consider themselves game designers and then at a later stage during their design process hire an artist to do the art for them to try to um, express their their thoughts about the game what they want to create but um, i'm really curious to learn more about um, the process from the other perspective when when the artist itself um tries to design a game to express uh, or use his art. So um, that's pretty interesting and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hear more about it. So do you have any, any kind of process that you followed to create the game? So how did you actually start? Did, did you start by, by drawing and trying to create the, the mechanics and rules around the, the things that you, that you draw, drew? Or was it more like, um, okay, I, I want to make a game. These, these are the rules and this is the art that could fit to it. So what was the starting point? So the starting point was definitely the theme. I was thinking about um, what kinds of things would I like to paint um, or draw for the game? Um, you know, what kinds of, what kind of theme would best fit with my artistic style and what kind of theme would fit into a cool um, story design. And so I started to do a little bit of research and I realized that I wanted to do some sort of nautical theme um, I was actually in the U.S. Coast Guard and have studied marine biology and um, did some time doing dolphin research in the Canary Islands. And so my connection with the ocean um, is, is strong, I guess. And so I started to do some research and just realized how robust um, the nautical theme is around the world, how much mythology there is connected with the ocean from cultures in every corner of the earth. And I realized that I can start with Cthulhu, a Lovecraft theme, but I can reach so much far, so much farther beyond that, you know, and include so much more of the, of the mythos from multiple cultures because so many cultures have a connection with the ocean. So once, that's, the, once that idea started to roll, I realized the potential for the artwork was definitely there. And that's, that was my main focus at the beginning. So then I just started to research. Um, I wanted to get a list of the kinds of creatures I wanted in the game. I wanted to get a list of what kinds of stories I wanted to incorporate into the game. And then from there, I started to build the idea of what this game would be, what each player would be doing. And it just started to form from there. You know, each player is a captain of their ship and they are going on an adventure. And the point is to discover lost lands. And I, and I, you know, the, the new worlds that you're trying to discover are actually real um, places. Well, not necessarily real places, but they're real um, from stories. Um, so they actually exist is what I'm saying. Like I didn't make them up. 
um, but they don't test technically exist. Like the floating um, floating islands of Babylon or floating gardens of Babylon is like one of the new worlds. And so all of these new worlds are taken from real uh, cultures around the world. And, and so that is how I, I formed the game. And it is around that idea that you are out there and you are facing these real mythological monsters from, from every corner of the earth and in search of these uh, mythical lands that are also from every uh, corner of the earth. That's very interesting. So um, can you give us maybe one or two more examples about these about these places um, that you are going to discover that you grab uh, uh, from from the real world, let's say? Yeah, so there's two in the game that are actually... Um, so, the, so the point of the game is you are trying to discover three of these uh, new worlds. Um, and once the first player that discovers three uh, wins the game. And two of the new worlds in, the, in one of the decks um, are, worth, are actually worth two. So if you get, if you get one of them you're just one world away from winning. Uh, and one of those is the Lost City of Atlantis, and the other one is Avalon uh, from the King Arthur. Yeah, it's fine. I can, I can get a feeling of what the lands look like and what the kind of exploration is here. So what I'm also very interested about is... Uh, what the next step then was actually in your in your process though so you 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 had the idea of the theme you um probably also uh, was were thinking about the goal knowing that every player would be a captain on a ship or so but how did you then translate that into actual game mechanics did you do a lot of research playing other games that you that you liked where you could I don't want to say steal ideas, but get some inspiration. Um, or how did you did you make that next step from the initial idea of the game and the theme um, to the to the actual game mechanics? Yeah, well, to be honest, um, no particular game stuck out. Um, no particular game stuck out to me as a game that I wanted to uh, mirror exactly. Um, but I do like the aspects of RPG um, that are in some games. And so I knew that I wanted to incorporate that as part of this. I knew that I wanted it to be a card game. Um, and so I just started to formulate, you know, how would these, how would a card game work? And so that's where I came up with the three different decks. And then I sort of had to start formulating, well, what would these three different decks do? And how would uh, players interact with them? So then I just started to uh, write notes and write down the different decks that I wanted to have and what they would do. And then I started to research, you know, what kinds of things I would have. So, uh, for example, the the discovery deck is the deck that players um, draw from and try to. The Discovery deck is the deck that has all the new worlds in it, but it also has all of these items that a player can gain during the game that will aid them in the rest of the game. And then there's the Pillage deck that players draw from uh, each turn. And that has other helpful items, but it also allows you to um, gain what I call integrity for the game, which sort of acts like uh, money. 
that you have to pay uh, to 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 draw from the discovery deck. Um, and then there's also cards in that in that deck that help you form alliances, that help you sabotage other players, um, just other meaningful cards that you can play each turn. And then finally is the the peril deck, which really is like the bulk of where this game uh, was inspired from. And that is the game that has all of the perils that you will face um, on your journey. And that game has all the sea creatures that came, um, I'm sorry, that deck has all the sea creatures in it. That deck has Cthulhu in it. um, And that deck has other sort of more typical perils that you would uh, encounter out at sea. So there's, there's like some plagues. um, There's a famine card. There's some curses in there that just stick with you until you can get rid of them. But yeah, I mean, to, to answer your more, your question more pointedly, there was no exact game that, um, that I really drew the idea from. Um, I just knew the sort of things I wanted to incorporate and it, and it really just evolved. It really, it's really just evolved. There was no, I, I would say clear path at the very beginning, um, just over time as I was designing it and researching it and, um, getting my ideas together as I realized what kind of game it would be and what it would look like. And I don't, I have honestly never played a game like this. Um, I think there's this, there's a game called, Oh shoot. I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Let me see if I can, I can find it. It's, I think it's called bang, bang or something. Bang. I know Um, bang. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Let me see. Is it is it Bang where is it's like a western themed, yeah western themed game yeah, where, yeah, where yeah. you have asymmetrical roles someone is the sheriff and other ones are uh, I don't know helping the sheriff or so uh, yeah yes yeah so it's it's not quite like that but I would say that's the closest thing um, just because the the car, the that, the way that that game played where you had cards that could affect other players and stuff that sort of reminded me of my game. But um, it's it's quite different as well. But yeah, okay. So the two games that come into my mind that um, in, that I thought of when I read through the uh, rules a little bit were the the um, Lord of the Rings Living Card game because okay. it has also uh, some kind of uh, peril stack. Um, okay. And the the second one is the a bit like the one deck dungeon um, game where where you also have this uh, this deck of perils. But uh, um. both of both of those games are um, uh, cooperative games. And as far as I know, your game is uh, is a competitive game, right? Yes, you can you can form alliances in this in my game. Um, And you can help other players if you want with your own cards and your own um, essential items in order to sort of uh, gain favor, I guess. You can because you can also sort of team up on another player who's winning. Um, but it's it's definitely at the end of the day, there's one winner, and <laughs> uh, I would say it's it is more of a single a single uh, minded. Competitive game than a cooperative game. 
Okay. So that sounds like a like a bit of a politics is also involved in this uh, in uh -huh. this game. If you can team up against other players or so. Yeah. Oh, I will say that if if um, Cthulhu is revealed, which doesn't happen every game, um, if he is revealed, all players are in a cooperation. So all players do try to to, to defeat Cthulhu um, on their own because if if. Cthulhu is not defeated, every, pay, every player perishes. So when he is revealed, all sabotage is off the table and it's, and it's in all players' best interest to uh, form an alliance. So I would, yeah, I guess at that point it would be a cooperative game, but that's the only time. Oh, that sounds really interesting to me. Um, if you have some kind of gameplay that is completely turned on its head, Uh, sometimes not always but sometimes and when a competitive game becomes a cooperative game um, out of the blue that is super super um, cool and i think that's pretty uh, new and unique and um, i think i think you should somehow uh, make this at least a pillar of your marketing strategy because if you tell this story i think people could get very interested okay yeah that's good advice thank you Okay, cool. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the rules and how the, um, the three different deck types inter interact? So um, what does a typical player turn look like? What, what do you do as a player? How does a gameplay look like? Okay, so um, there are three decks. There is the Discovery deck, the Pillage deck, and the Peril deck. Um, each player um, starts off their... their starts off the game with three cards from the pillage deck. The pillage deck is in the middle and this deck is drawn from every turn. Um, with those cards, you can, you can play two of those cards per turn or per round. It's a little complicated without explaining uh, all of the rules, but essentially you don't have to play all of your cards on your turn because you can save a card and you can play it to sabotage another player in the middle of their turn. Um, and if you saw the kinds of cards that are in there, that would make more sense. But, but basically, you know, you have two out of your, out of your hand, you can play two cards per turn. Um, another thing that you can do is you can pay your integrity um, each player starts the game with three integrity, but over the course of the game, you gain more by um, uh, playing cards that allow you to gain more. Um, and you can pay eight integrity to go for a discovery card. Now, two discovery cards are always face up. And the, this deck is going to have the new worlds and then essential items. And essential items are cards that go in front of you and sort of act as helpful things that you can use once per turn by activating, you know, and sometimes that those cards will say, you know, deal damage to um, deal damage to apparel or end another player's turn, or they give you more crew and crew essentially act as your health throughout the game. So once you pay eight integrity, you can try and gain one of those discovery cards Each discovery card it has a number of skulls on it on the bottom, and that indicates the number of perils that you have to face in order to actually win the card. So you have to pay for it regardless, 
Um, and you don't get that, you don't get that integrity back, even if you die facing the perils. Um, so you have to sort of be ready. There's sort of this, um, at the beginning of the game where each player has to spend a few rounds to sort of, you know, get enough cards, get enough, maybe items. Cause there are uh, other items, uh, that are considered passive items that are in the, uh, pillage deck that you draw from. So once you have enough items and enough cards in your hand where you think that you can actually survive the perils is when you would pay for one of these discovery cards. So anyway, you go for one of these cards. Let's say you're going for a new world, which is typically uh, three skulls are on it, which means you have to face three different perils. So then what you do is you you reveal uh, the peril cards one at a time and then you face them and see what they are they might be a curse they might be a one-time just a one-time action that's taken against the player that revealed it or they might be a sea monster the sea monsters are the ones that you actually act that you actually have to um roll to to fight and based on what the card says it will, it will give you its health. It will give you um, how many, how the, the dice number that you have to roll to deal damage. And then it will give you the, um, it will say how much dam- damage is dealt to you if you don't roll a high enough number. And so basically you fight this peril with everything you got until you either win or the peril wins. And if you defeat the peril, there is a reward at the bottom that might be like, draw another uh, pillage card or gain another gain, uh, gain some health back that you may have lost um, or gain some extra integrity. And then you, uh, um, you reveal the next card and same thing. And then you reveal the next one. Once you have survived all three perils, you win that card you were going for. And then you can end your turn, but you don't have to, you can still play. Let's say you haven't played your two pillage cards or you, you know, you want to play, um, you want to activate another item, you can still do any of those things. Um, there's, there's quite a list of, of things that a captain can um, do on their turn in any order, um, but you basically announce when your turn is over and then the next player goes and they do the same thing um, or they can you know, do something very simple and then just end their turn. But and then it just goes that way until the until the first player you know is able to actually uh, retain three new worlds from the discovery deck. Okay, thank you much for the explanation. That was uh, pretty pretty cool to hear how this all works together. So I have a question about the um, the pillage deck from which you draw okay. your cards. So um, is this? one deck in the middle that everyone draws the card from or is this uh, has everyone uh, his own deck um, where he draws the card from is it uh, some kind of deck building involved in the beginning or um, is it just a, a deck for all of the players together so it is a deck for all the players um so yes it, it, it goes in the middle of the three decks and each player does start the game with three of these cards And then each player on their turn draws once unless so, so you might, you might at some point get um, a helpful item that allows you to draw twice, for example, 
or stuff like that. But that'll be more clear uh, for people sitting down and playing the game to understand what that means. But yes, essentially every turn um, that a player has, the first thing they do is draw from this deck. I mean, there are many ways of distributing cards. Um, so you, you cho chose to have a deck um, where everyone draws cards from. And mm -hmm. um, uh, the game that, uh, that I develop right now had the sa has the same mechanic. Uh, but we also considered um, or tested some other uh, ways of distributing these cards that are in one deck between the players. So, for example, um, letting them them draft pick one one after another uh, cards from a from a, an open visual place or so um, so that they could uh, pick cards that belong together that are maybe very very synergistic or um, can come up with a good strategy for those cards or even hate pick cards from the opponent that they do not want want them to get so we consider these kind of uh, kind of uh, distribution ways of uh, of this card pile um, and i was just curious if, if if you tried out something something similar or um, or if there was a reason why you decided for the for the deck i see um well the reason that i actually it seems pretty simple explaining it but there are so many cards in this game that allow you to steal from other players at any time that i realized i'll just make it um I'll, I'll make it simple from the beginning where you just draw. And then from there, you're able to sort of build your, your deck um, in different ways. So there are multiple cards um, in that deck and in the discovery deck that allow you to steal other items from other players, um, that allow you to look at another player's hand, that allow you to draw from another player's hand blindly that force other players to give you one of their cards. I mean, there is all kinds of that. So, so it made the most sense to just make it this simple and then the players would complicate it and the players would have to strategize as a way to, to build their own hand. Okay, cool. Sounds, sounds very good. And um, so I have one more question with regards to um, to the design process of, uh, let's say, individual cards. Because um, if you have a, I mean, a main idea and the, the, the mechanics uh, and tried out the mechanics with a few cards or so, uh, then typically it, the point comes where you um, have to create more cards um, to, to, to fill up the entire decks and so on. And um, I'm interested to hear your perspective as an artist, um, how you approach this, but because I have seen um, different ways of doing it. Um, for just giving you two examples, I have seen people using, let's say, existing art, maybe not their own art, maybe some art that they found in the internet or so, to, to get inspired, let's say, if they look at the picture from a dwarf with, with a sword and a shield, they might um, develop the, the attributes and mechanics around that, that dwarf so that it fits the art. And the second or the other way that I've seen is that um, someone has some kind of mechanics and tries to come up with uh, some kind of let's call it design skeleton how i did it in the past um and uh create some kind of excel table uh, where where you try to um 
define certain slots that you want to fill, certain roles for cards that they should fulfill so that your mechanics work well together, that every aspect of the game is somehow fulfilled, and then try to fill that Excel table step by step and see at the end if, I don't know, let's say a uh, um, uh, dwarf with a sword comes out or maybe, I don't know... Um, a giant with a club, or oh, I don't know, yeah, just as an as an example. So I would be interested to learn a little bit more how you um, then decided to desi uh, design the individual card. Was it more from the um, theme art aspect or more from the mechanics aspect side? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I would say that it is definitely a combination. So when I fir the first deck um, that I made had tons of themes in it. I mean, it had, it had castaway, it had all of these things that would, that could happen to you. And when I started to, and, and, and that first deck, um, I did just to make, cause I needed to make a first, a first prototype so that I could start play testing. I did just take a bunch of art, um, from, from the internet just to have something on the card And then when I went back, I realized I don't really want to illustrate what a castaway looks like. I don't have time for that. That wasn't my my idea for the game. If you if you go and you look at our Instagram and you look at the kind of art I do, um, I like to do um, it. I wouldn't say simple, but it's not as complicated as you know what a castaway might look like, which is painting an island and a person on it and you know, really trying to tell that whole story just for one little card. So just, just that as an example, I started to refine down some of the themes and some of the cards that I was like, you know what, I don't need a castaway card. I can, I can do another card because this is the art that I actually envision for, for me doing this. Um, and so then I started to, yeah, may, I made an Excel spreadsheet and I wrote down all the cards I wanted to do. And then I started to write down what I would want to paint for them. And when I got to, when I got to a theme or a card um, that, that I was stuck on where I was like, I really, I don't, I don't know what um, I can, I can paint for this. Um, I either got rid of the card and replaced it with something else, or I slightly changed the theme. Um, but for the most part, you know, every single, every single card I, I put in so much research into what different things mean, what, what different pirate terms and old nautical terms meant and myths from around the world and magic from around the world to make sure that every single theme um, was something that's, that's, that's out there and I didn't make up. Um, you know, there's, um, there are things like, there's like a card, for example, that's a, it's a curse. It's in the peril deck and it's called Bananas on Board. And this was an old superstition of um, uh, pirates and, and, and ship captains and sailors because bananas would go bad really fast on boats. So it was like bad luck to have bananas on board. That's just one example. And so there were tons of those themes um, that I wanted to incorporate and keep in the game, but I was just like, I can't paint something for all of these. But I made sure I didn't make anything up either. Everything is... is It's from from history and and from uh, stories around the world, and I just made sure that I had a an original idea that I could um, do art for. So that's what the game ended up being like after many many takes of 
you know, a process of what the card does and what the card means and what I can paint for it. So. Yeah, cool. So that sounds like you put in very much effort to um, to research all that stories and uh, mythologies and yeah, uh, creatures, stories in the internet. So that sounds like a lot of work and also doing this uh, whole art for that, I don't know, hundreds of cards um sounds like a lot of lot of work how did you how did you do all that in um in one year well um if you knew me better you would know that uh i um i can i can get a lot done when i'm motivated and when i'm passionate about something and this idea has just been so so much fun for me and excited me so much And doing art isn't isn't work for me. But once this idea started rolling and once I started playtesting and realized that this game could actually work and work really well and was fun, you know, I definitely had to make tweaks at the beginning because um, everyone was just dying every time they tried to, you know, face any perils. I was like, okay, this game is way too hard. But it just... I was just in love with the idea and and loved the idea of of actually doing all of this art for something larger than just, you know, a hobby and getting it out there and turning it into a story and not just a story, but a story that people can be a part of and play. And so that's, that's, that's how I got it done. I mean, it, it was, it, the art was definitely, definitely time consuming. I mean, I, had to draw all of these and then I had to transfer all of them to watercolor and then I had to paint all of them. And then I had to design all the cards and redesign the cards and the, the card design and, and going through and editing all the cards over and over again after playtesting and getting um, reviews back um, has definitely been time consuming, but you know, I haven't been doing a lot else. <laughs> I've had a lot of time on my hands. So, um, you know, outside of work, my hobbies have been, has been fairly limited. So it's just been a great thing to be able to focus on for me. It's been, it's been a huge, you know, relief that I, that I decided to do this for, for myself actually. So. Okay. So, I can I can totally relate to um, all that hobbies that yeah we all cannot uh, follow any longer at the moment in this yeah. in this crisis. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I I have less time than before because uh, uh, my three little kids are at home and we have to take care of them uh, with homeschooling and all that stuff. So that's uh, quite quite a challenge, and um, it has also been uh, have an impact on um, yeah on my game design to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um I how long do you typically need for 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 an artwork for one of your cards? That is a good question. Um so it depends. Some of the cards, for example, there's a card in the pillage deck called Freebooter. Um and Freebooter is just a term for basically someone you know, screwing you over. It's a, it's a pirate term. Um, and for that card, I just, I just, um, drew and painted a old, old style musket. So, you know, that didn't take too long. Um, 
I would, I don't know, I would say maybe a couple hours to, to sketch it out. And then once I sketched it out to get it painted, maybe like three hours, but something for like example, one of the sea creatures sketching one of those is a lot more time consuming. Um, and you know, it might be easier for some people. I hadn't really, uh, drawn or painted sea monsters before. Um, a lot of my art consisted of sort of abstract faces or, um, you know, other, other stuff, but, when I started to do this, it was sort of the first time that I was like drawing sea monsters. And so my sketching process took hours. Once I got the sketch down that I liked and I transferred it to watercolor paper, the painting actually goes pretty quick. I would say maybe like an hour, hour and a half um, if I sit down and paint it all the way through. But overall, each, each sea creature that you see on, um, on our Instagram probably took me five to six hours to do. Okay. So since I'm, yeah, I'm not able to, to draw stick figures for my kids, so I can uh, have absolutely no idea how long this process takes. <laughs> um, but uh, one card that I really enjoyed, one artwork is um, the, how is it called? Morgor. The, uh, it looks like a, like a big lizard underwater, um, like a large, really large, huge creature. Um, of which only a small part is above the water and there's a very small ship on on the water uh, which uh, then allows you to see the proportion of the of of this uh, of this huge creature i really like it that's a, that's a huge, oh, great yeah. artwork thank you thank you yeah that was actually one of the very first um the very first ones i did um and it was fun because i wanted to When I was actually doing research for the game, looking up these monsters, a lot of the images had them coming up from from below ships um, and, and seeing the size difference. I was like, that's a really fun idea. And I think I'm going to do that for a lot of my creatures. So, um, yeah, so you'll see that in, on a few cards. There's a few creatures that are coming up um, below ships and, and you can see the different size um, of how large they are. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned that due to the, to the crisis, you were not able to follow a lot of your, uh, your hobbies. Um, but for many game designers, I did a, I did a, um, a survey some time ago. The main challenge really was to, to find playtesters in that time, because, uh, all of that, uh, playtesting groups that, um, happened in person, in many, many areas, they were just uh, not happening anymore. And um, so how did you um, playtest your game in this, uh, in this phase? So I, so I don't live too far from where... Um, so I live in Houston, Texas, and it's about two and a half hours from Austin, Texas. And I originally had lived in Austin, and I have my brother live there and some friends live there. So I was able to actually play test the game a few times and pretty quickly see what was not going to work and what was working. And so I adjusted it. Then um, I adjusted those things, replay tested it, um, adjusted it again, and then reached out to started to reach out to people um, on Instagram, basically just calling for 
you know, any playtesters interested, I will print you off a prototype and send it out to you. And so that's basically what I did um, while still continue to play test and edit um, at the same time. And so getting back their feedback and then adjusting the game again, and then I had those playtesters send it to another round of playtesters. And what was really nice was the game itself didn't need to be edited hardly at all, but the rules needed to be edited and tweaked. And that's what I was noticing the most. And that's what I was really grateful for. I was like, the game is working for the most part and the game is, is playing the way I want it to. The only thing I need to do after, you know, after these uh, playtesters are playing is I'm realizing this rule doesn't work or I need to change this rule. You know, I need to put a limit on how many items you can have. I need to put, um, I need to make it less expensive um, to try and gain a discovery. I mean, you know, those kinds of things. But as far as the game itself and, and, and as far as like editing the cards and, you know, throwing out an idea that didn't need to happen, which was really, which was really nice. Was there something you had to get rid of or had to change that was really hard for you because you were, I don't know, attached to it, uh, that uh, you wanted to keep in the game, but you somehow had to change it because it wasn't working? <laughs> Um, I think the biggest thing that I was having trouble um, adjusting on was the game was very, very hard. And it was taking a long time for people to play it because people were dying so much. And I really was stubborn about making it easier because it felt like a um, defeat, I guess. And I was like, well, you know what? It's supposed to be hard. You just have to get better at it. And I just realized that that wasn't, that didn't make sense. I was like, the point of the game is also to have fun. And if it's this hard and it takes, it's taking too long, um, then there's something, there's something wrong. It's not that players are bad at the game. It's that, you know, the flow of it is just too slow and it's too difficult. So that was really the biggest change I had to make. I had to make players um, a little bit stronger, a little bit quicker so that they could actually get into the game. Because once they get into the game, they are attacking each other just as much as they're trying to survive the perils they are facing. And that was not happening with the original, earlier versions of the game because players were having so much trouble on their own. No one was ever attacking each other. So there wasn't, no, there wasn't, to answer your question, no, there wasn't anything major I needed to get rid of. Um, there were a few changes. So for like the discovery deck, for example, when you play the game, there are always two cards face up. And originally I had no cards face up. You basically had to go for the cards blind. And I realized that that was a little bit difficult and, um, you know, would make it more appealing if people had the choice between two cards. Um, they still have the choice to go for the blind one. Um, they just have to try to get it if they, if they decide to go for it blind. But, um, yeah, most of the changes were, were pretty small like that until, until the game was really going at the pace and the flow I wanted it to. Yeah, that's pretty relatable because I think, uh, a lot of designers are at some point during their design process, um, at this point where the game feels, um, like it, um, goes too long. 
or like it is too difficult at some point in time. So uh, can you maybe go a little bit more into the detail how you how you solved the problem of uh, the game being um, being too long? So um, I I had I changed a few of the cards. I didn't change um, necessarily what the card was called but I changed a few of the cards and what they did. So I made some of the cards allow a player to deal extra damage. I allowed some of the cards um, or more of the cards to give players more health. Um, I allowed some of the cards uh, or added some cards that um, basically just aided players in their fight against perils so that it was more likely that they would succeed. But then I also added more cards that actually encouraged players to sabotage each other more. And before, so there was at the early stages of the game too, there were a lot of cards I realized that once you started playing, they weren't very helpful and people didn't want them. And I was like, well, I don't really want anyone to have cards in their hands that, that they don't see them needing. I sort of want everyone to you know, look at the cards in their hand and, 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 and want to use them and see a need for them. So that was definitely an adjustment that I had to make. Um, and once I started editing that, the game started to go a lot quicker and make a lot more sense. Um, but gauging that early on was pretty difficult because this game is also so different every time you play. I mean, Each, each um, player gets a different character card, and which is a, a vessel, basically. It's your ship that you're captaining. And each of those character cards has a unique ability. So depending on, you know, you play this time, but the next time you play, your unique ability will be different. And it's just every single time I've played, the game can be quite different. So sometimes the feedback I was getting with my playtesters, where they were like, oh, this didn't work. And I was like, well... It really works in some other games. So I had to make some tweaks, but early on it was kind of hard to gauge specifically what might need to be changed because of the game uh, and the style and how it plays out when you play it. That sounds really like a like a challenge to playtest that game because it just can if it always feels different. Um, that also means that there are a lot of different combination possibilities of card combinations that could probably feel good, but also could feel bad and reveal some kind of things that are not working. So, I guess you you have done a lot of a lot of playtesting, and that um, must have oh, been yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, that was that. So that was another challenge. There are so many combinations of what can happen. I had one playtester. Um, they did a great job and they gave me great feedback. It was really helpful. And they wrote down all of these combinations that they had run into. And they were like, you know, I had this card and this person played this card because the, the amount of sabotage that can happen and the things that you can do to alter someone else's turn um, are sort of endless in this game. And, you know, they had run into this situation and they told me and they were like, so what happens in this situation? And I was like, I don't know. I've never even, I haven't accounted for that. And I, and, and to, it took me a long time to go through and try to really think about all the possible things um, to account for and how they would play out. And so I definitely made sure that, you know, I, I had to tweak some of the, my cards to make them very clear so that it's understood the order a card is played 
and what trumps another card basically and how that how that will change the game and make it clear enough because I couldn't, you know, I I I wasn't able to account for all these things for these playtesters. So that was really um good feedback and 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 definitely a, a a portion of adjusting the game. So Yeah, thank you for that uh for that feedback. I in the meantime I also um I just remember that I saw something on Facebook yesterday about um, the question: Why is my game taking so long? With four possible um, four possible solutions, and I wanted to share that here with the audience as well um, because I just stumbled over it yesterday, and I think it it, it fits quite well into our discussion that we just had. Um, so the first answer really is, um, or what you can do about it is that um, you should uh, shorten the the phases instead of uh, having long terms per player turns per player. So instead mm -hmm. of one player taking a very long turn while the others are waiting you should uh, uh, change it into each player doing just a part of its turn maybe at the same time even by simultaneous action selection or so um, or just by having different phases um, after each other that's the mm -hmm. first point the second one is um, that you should minimize strategic disruption and what they mean by that is um, that some small changes on the table that can easily be followed are better than um, yeah these large changes that need to everyone needs to process for for, for quite a while until um, until fully understood. So um, one one aspect that they give in this regard is that you should let players draw cards at the end of the turn so that they can already think about uh, what they got, make up a strategy a strategy for the next turn or so instead of letting they um, them. I don't know, draw a card in the beginning of the turn or um, yeah, maybe instead of activating all units at the same time, allow only one unit per player per turn or so. And this is another oh. way. And uh, there are two more. The third one is that you can use dynamic play mechanisms. Um, that is something, for example, like um, mechanisms that allow each player to participate. So let's say an auction, for example, or... Um, a trading phase, simultaneous action selection, what I just mentioned, um, so that uh, everyone is engaged at the same time. And um, even if this doesn't really shorten your game, it at least it increases the, the tension and allows players to be engaged the whole time. Mm -hmm. And the last one is a pretty easy one. You, should, you can start further into the game or end the game earlier, which is quite obvious. Okay. But um, I thought it was... a. Uh, It was uh, fitting to the to the discussion that we just had, so I wanted to mention it. I unfortunately do not have the source in my head, so I will try to find that again and um, link it in the show notes. It was somewhere somewhere on Facebook. Yeah, that, those sound like uh, those sound like helpful tips. Okay, so um, maybe one last question with regards to the rules before we um, yeah, transition into um, into another topic so um, what is maybe the the mechanic or the aspect um, of the game or the rule of the game that you are most proud of what you think is uh, most unique of your game um, and what really is maybe the heart of the game or what you are most proud of let's say it like that um I mean, maybe I would say that I'm most proud of the art of the game, but um, 
That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> um, I think this game is is unique. And I say that because um, I didn't try to make it unique. I think I just really came up with it without really mirroring any idea um, or, you know, basing it on anything. I, I have, you know, played a ton of games and I knew I wanted it to be a card game, but I don't know of a game that is like this. And um, I think that's what I'm most proud of. If you if you get the game and you see the amount of cards and the amount of thought that I put into them all and how I needed to make sure that they could all work together and actually um, play together with a game that makes sense, that was pretty time-consuming. And, and, you know, I didn't think about it too much at the beginning, but when I started to play with people and they were like, you came up with all of this. You came up with all of these cards that coordinate together and work together. And you, you like all of these, all of these things that have to happen to make sure that the game actually makes sense. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it took a little time, but yeah, I did it. And I think realizing that how impressed other people were made me realize, oh yeah, this is something to be proud of. So I would say, I would say, I guess the biggest thing I'm proud of is, um, creating something that works together with, with all of these complicated um, cards and all the time and effort I had to put into making sure that they, they work together in a way that makes sense and that people can play. That's a very good answer. And I think you can be really, really proud of what you achieved there in, um, in this short time frame. So um, I have seen that you want to bring your game to, um, to Kickstarter pretty soon yes. two, two months or so from now so um can you tell us a little since i'm um, i'm on my way to um to publish a game on kickstarter uh, myself this year i wanted to uh yeah get a little bit of uh experience from you to to see what you are doing um to prepare for kickstarter your strategy um let us uh Let us participate a little bit in your in your approach, how you want to make uh, your project a success on Kickstarter. Yeah, so a lot of, unfortunately, we weren't able to attend any sort of conventions this year, which I think would have been really helpful. Um, so a lot of my hope is that, you know, starting early and advertising basically for a whole year now has given us... Um, enough of a base and enough interest. And we've definitely seen a lot more interest in the last few weeks since the game, we finally got a final prototype and people are really able to see a complete game. Interest has spiked quite a bit. So we've been building our email list for the last year, building interest on Instagram. And really what I wanted to do was since I'm not able to get this game in front of a lot of people um, from the get go, I wanted to make sure that the game was completed, essentially. I mean, the game is done. All I have to do is have the money to go to production, which I don't think a lot of Kickstarter games have. You know, they need startup money to pay an artist. They need, you know, this and that. It's a lot more that they need than just the simple production of the game. And since I was the artist and the designer, I just did all of that with my own time. Um, so there is hardly any risk. 
And I'm really hoping that that uh, encourages people to be excited and back the project, knowing that if it's backed, we're good to go. The order will be put in and I'll start working with our um, manufacturer almost immediately um, and hopefully getting it into the hands of people within six months. Cool. I have um, I have a question because I mentioned that in the last podcast episode as well, um, that one thing that I'm always hesitant about when it comes about backing a game is um, that they are often in the United States or somewhere else in the world and the shipping costs are really, really killing me here over in Europe. So, um, And oftentimes I really want to back the game and I would like to help the designer, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not willing to pay, I don't know, double the, the price of the game just for shipping. So in that case, I often I often wait until the game, if it's from a major brand or so, until it is available here in the shops, um, just because I'm not willing to pay so much shipping costs. So um, did you consider the shipping, and do you have some kind of um, idea how to how to solve that? How do you approach that? Um, do you focus on the American market? Um, yeah, what is uh, what is your strategy there? So we are actually in the middle of still figuring that out. Um, we are planning to ship to um, the UK and Europe and um, and South America and Central America. Um, I don't know if we are going to be able to, I mean, we might put it on there that we can ship to China and other parts of the world. Uh, it just depends. You know, this game isn't going to be very large. And the game itself is going to be a reasonable price. So maybe those shipping costs won't deter so many people. It just sort of depends on the market interest if we're going to offer those things. Um, and we're in this, we're in the final stages right now of getting our Kickstarter up. We have it almost completely um, ready to go for approval. Um, and But we just haven't for sure figured out what the shipping costs are going to be for those other countries. Out of curiosity, um, how long did it take for you to set up the, the Kickstarter page? Um, about, and again, this, this might sound ridiculous, um, just because when I, when I set my mind to something, I sit down and I, and I do it all the way through. Um, but we were, we were waiting to have the final prototype to be able to really build the Kickstarter page because I wanted to have pictures of the actual game. Um, so... I would say a week and a half, um, I sat down and really, really designed it. Um, and I didn't want to do, a lot of people do just like um, pictures and then they have, you know, their text and then they do a picture and then they do text. Um, I actually sat down and designed everything in, so all of my texts and all of my pictures are purposely designed in one um, or in a few images. And then that's going to go up. So I'm hoping that the Kickstarter page looks very unique and incorporates a lot of the art from the game as well as pictures of the game. But it's not going to look as typical as some of the other um, Kickstarter pages that I've seen, at least, where it's like picture text, picture text. So it took me about a week, but I worked on it probably two to three hours a day um, before I really got it to where I wanted it to be. And we haven't sent it to, we're going to send it out to a few people. I want a few of our playtesters to look at it, a few of my friends to look at it, other collaborators, and let me know what they think. But 
yeah, it sounds like really fast, but I would honestly say probably a good 20 hours at least of, of designing it and, and, and getting it to where I wanted it. Cool. So I'm, I'm curious and I'm looking forward to, to look at it. Um, I like the idea that you, that you just described and, um, yeah, we'll definitely take a look at it. So, um, before we probably come uh, to an end of this show do you um want to tell the listeners how they how they can find you on um on instagram how they can find your kickstarter campaign um and when it will go up yes so you can find us at the heart of cthulhu um on instagram and most of our content is on there you can find us also on facebook at heart of cthulhu um But most of our content is going to be on Instagram and you can see any updates there. Um, you can join our email list, which I highly encourage because we send out early updates on our email list. We give people the opportunity to commit to backing early. Um, there, we're about to actually send out um, uh, a newsletter next week and the first 100 backers Uh, first 100 people to commit to early backing are going to be able to receive an exclusive offer that won't be available on Kickstarter. Um, and then we will be launching live on Kickstarter uh, March 1st. Okay, cool. I will, um, as usual, put all of that into the show notes so that you um, yeah, can directly click on it. Is there anything else that you would like to give as an advice to uh, aspiring game designers that are probably just at the start of their um, design process of a, of a new game or so? Anything that you learned on your, on your journey that you would like to, to share with those people before we close the call? Um, I guess my biggest advice would be get the game in front of as many people as you can um, and take take all of their advice um, take all of their advice as much as you can but also remember that every single person might have a different experience and um, adjust the game accordingly um, but you the more people you get your game in front of the more you'll be able to see what other people are seeing you know I wrote my rule book and there were there were so many things that, you know, I just didn't account for because I'm too familiar with the game. And so getting the more people you can get in front of, the better, the better it will turn out and the better um, it will, it will play eventually when you, when you realize this is the finished product and this is what works. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely cute. I can double that. Um, thank you very much, Patrick, for being a guest on the, on this podcast in the Nerd Lab. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too, Marvin. Thank you. I wish you all the best for your Kickstarter campaign. And uh, to the listeners, um, the only thing I have to say is uh, goodbye. Um, until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss. Goodbye. Goodbye.